Please turn your Bibles to page chapter Ephesians 4, 17 through 19. In your pew Bibles, it's page 1040. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greenness. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And if you are visiting with us again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us. Today we study a difficult topic. It's a difficult topic because of the number of people that have experienced this actually in their life or their families have or someone that they love. I want to begin this morning by reminding you that we have just partaken of the Lord's Feast, a reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us so that that we could have the remission of sins. This lesson is not to renew guilt of past experiences, but If, in fact, it is a past experience, I want you, as we think about this, to be reminded of what the Lord has done to forgive you. God is powerful enough to forgive, and when He forgives, He forgets. And let's make sure that each one of us always serve a God that forgives and bask in the comfort and the peace that passes understanding of that forgiveness. Also, let me tell you, I've tried very hard to make this Uh, a study, an outline that would not be gory, it would not uh, be unnecessarily uncomfortable, but nevertheless, it is a huge, huge problem in America today. And so it is something that we need to address often. And this year, as we go through a series of immorality, looking at least once a month at a topic of immorality, We began in alphabetical order this morning in looking at the topic of abortion. Planned Parenthood says babies are smelly. They're nasty. They're expensive and loud. Unless you want one. What are they asking? What are they advising? What kind of picture are they portraying? Most of us that understand anything about Planned Parenthood recognizes that to them, the idea of whether or not you have an abortion is based solely upon the fact of whether or not this child coming into your life is wanted. That is the standard by which you decide whether or not you should or should not have an abortion. Is this child wanted? Is this child an inconvenience? We can take care of that for you. Children of God have standards that are set not by themselves and not based upon convenience, but standards of morality that are set by God. Just a few moments ago, Trey so capably read for us a passage that we'll refer to in just a few moments, but that was a reminder of how things can spiral down. But I want to, at first this morning, remind you 
or perhaps even inform some of you of a beautiful story. Many of us know what it is to have mixed emotions. As a matter of fact, there was one couple that could say that they had a week one time that the truth is turned into several months of mixed emotions. You see, this lady found out on Monday that she was pregnant. And on Tuesday, she found out she had breast cancer. Many people in America, there would be no other option in their mind except to abort the child and to go into a treatment of radiation and chemotherapy for the breast cancer. But yet for this couple, because of their convictions that were formed upon their Christian faith, from the beginning, abortion was not an option. They explained that to their doctors, and their doctors were even religious and said, they understand that, and we'll work with you in every way that we can. And that team of doctors says, we'll begin doing research on what are our possibilities and our best uh, procedures that we can perform at this time. The problem was, there's very little studies that they could find. As a matter of fact, they searched all over America and throughout the medical journals and etc., and they found one study that was done by M.D. Anderson, and it only did a study based upon 24 ladies that had cancer and giving birth to babies that they would not abort. They did the best that they could do. They decided four chemotherapy treatments, then surgery eight weeks into the pregnancy, and then see how the baby does. The second chemotherapy treatment was almost unbearable. The mother almost died. She survived. As a matter of fact, the surgery went well. Baby and mother survived. As a matter of fact, today, little Taylor is 20 months old. Tanya and Taylor, will y'all stand up? And as you can see, she's beautiful. Thank you. If that child would have been in the womb of most women in America today, that child would probably not be alive today in the same situation. In most situations today, most women would have aborted that baby under the disguise of hiding the guilt in their life by saying it was an issue of health. It's what we had to do. So it is this morning, let's think about not what we have convinced ourselves that we have to do, But let's study what the Word of God says, and let's see what God says that we ought to do. As we think about the confusion of society, I'm reminded of the words in Jonathan Swift's A Modest Proposal. As we read these, I assure you this will be the most gory information that we'll read today. But I want you to think about his words back out of the late 1700s. When he wrote, as he was a social theorist, he said, I have already computed the charge of nursing a beggar's child. In other words, they were living in poverty, and he thought he found a solution that would help the rich and the poor. And he says, in which list I reckon all cottagers, laborers, and four-fifths of all farmers to be about two shillings per annum, rags included. I believe no gentleman would repine to give ten shillings for the carcass of a good fat child, which, as I have said, will make four dishes of excellent nutritive meat. The mother will have eight shillings net profit and be fit for work till she reproduces another child. Can you imagine such poverty? But yet, can I ask you this? Can you imagine such immorality? 
to stoop to the level where a child does not have the value or the worth in the society that adults have. And not only that, but to actually say not only do they have the worth, but we will actually market them and to sell them. Welcome to America. Children's parts are being harvested and sold every day. If you want to buy the aborted tissues of eyes and ears, they're $75. You have the right to buy them. If you want to buy a trunk, $500. And on and on the parts go. A brain, $999. Oh, surely that's against the law. Yes, it's against the law to sell parts, but it's not against the law to harvest them and charge someone for the harvesting of them, the storing of them, and the transportation of them. And so it's become a very profitable business in America today. There should be outrage. You rarely hear of it. You see, is what we've read that seems so gross, the reality is the only difference in us and them is we sell them not to be eaten. And that is the only difference in America today and the modest or immodest proposal that Swift made. As we think about our situation, let's go back and see the text very quickly on the screen. Ephesians, the fourth chapter that was so capably read for us. As you see that, you're reminded that we took and underlined things when we studied this as an introduction back a month ago. And as we, let's go to the next screen now, we put these in a list of six things. In other words, how could people move to the point of having morality to not having morality at all, to being depraved? All of this becomes from a futility of the mind. In other words, a mind that does not have a moral compass any longer. Well, the way it began, number one, was their understanding was darkened. And the goal this morning is that every one of us will leave here reminded, enlightened of how God values life, whether it is in the womb or out of the womb, God values human life. And if we do not understand that, we begin to alienate ourselves from the life of God. We just cannot live the life that God wants. And the fact is, then we become ignorant. How many people could we walk to up on the streets in our offices or in our classrooms tomorrow and have an intelligent con conversation about abortion tomorrow. Very few. Most people only know one side. They're not intelligent on the matter. To them, honestly, to them, it is simply a choice. If we understand it in its fullness, it is so much more than just a choice. It is something that has great moral or immoral impact upon our nation. And this brings us to our fourth area here as we're working our way down. And that is we actually come to the point that we're beyond feeling. How can you call abortion a choice so casually? Because as a nation, many in our nation are past feeling. They no longer consider what really takes place. They no longer want to carry the guilt or the weight of the responsibility of the decision that they have made. And so therefore, let's be casual about this, but the only way we can do that is to be calloused about it. Let's not think about what is really taking place, and then the result of that is all kind of lewdness and wickedness and evil. We looked at the research from Barna Research as we did this study, and you will notice that abortion was listed number four there. Of all adults, 45% said that it was morally acceptable. Friends, this lets us know what we're dealing with as a nation, as a society. Almost half the people that we're around on a daily basis believes that there is nothing wrong with aborting an unborn child. 
Now, as we begin this this morning, let's note why this is such an emotionally volatile subject. First, we consider five things that the proactivists say about this, promoting abortion. Number one, they demand the woman's rights. But the problem is they demand the woman's rights only. Number two, they demand that the fetus isn't a child. Number three, they demand that delivering an unwanted child is worse than aborting that child. Number four, they demand that abortion is a sensible choice. And number five, they picture a happy woman without the inconvenience of that abortion. But let's think for just a moment about some things that we ought to consider if, in fact, we are opposed to abortion. Number one, a child has rights too, because they too are a human being. Number two, the fetus is an unborn child. Number three, murder is unacceptable, and it is not a solution. Adoption would be a very good solution. Number four, it's not just immoral, it's an intolerable moral immorality. Life is the sensible choice, not abortion. Number five, it's so inhumane, neither side wants to view the reality in picture or in person. Those promoting abortion never advertise using a picture of what they actually do. You thought about that? You'll never walk into an abortion clinic and they show of what the child looks, at, looks like in the stage that the child is in the mother's womb. As a matter of fact, clinics that are trying to help women make the right decision are trying to gather the resources to place the technology in these clinics that will give them the right to do it because they find out that the response is overwhelming, that if a mother can see what is in her womb, she will not abort that child. And so it is, we have to, for just a moment, ask ourselves, what brought us to this point? How is it? that children can be aborted by the thousands every day in America and body parts be sold. And that's where we are. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time of grasping the reality of where we are as a nation in this area of immorality. A quick history lesson. It goes back to Roe v. Wade in 1973 that gave the legal right to abort a baby. But that really wasn't the significant case in a sense. There was another one that same year of Doe versus Bolton in 1973 that established the right to not prohibit an abortion which threatens a woman's health. And then the doctor has the right to say how this might threaten a woman's health. So in other words, all the doctor has to do is say, it's going to be an emotional challenge upon this woman, let's abort. It's going to be a psychological hindrance in the life of this woman. Let's abort. And so therefore, an abortion at that point can be given upon any woman or any girl, and nothing can be done legally about the matter. Is it a tremendous problem? Let's run through some stats very quickly. In a year, there are 1.37 million abortions a year. That comes out to about 4,000 abortions a day. That would mean that if every person that lives in Mount Juliet represented an abortion, by the end of the week, there wouldn't be a Mount Juliet, Tennessee. One week. 
That's how many babies will die this week in America. 2.75 a minute. Who's having them? Protestants, 37% of all abortions. U.S. Catholics, 31%. Jews, 1.3%. Non-religious, 23%. And those that claim to be born-again evangelicals, 18%. What's the point? The point is, we're talking about a moral issue that those that claim to have a religion is not affecting them in their decision. You see, there may be someone here this morning saying, why in the world are we, a group of Christians, talking about this? Because the majority of people that have abortions, if the statistics are true, claim to be Christians. The grim facts, when we look at rape and potential health problems, that's only a drop in the bucket of 7% of why individuals have abortions and social reasons. Inconvenience, unwanted child is 93%. This statistic right here is staggering. The estimation is that 43% of all women will have an abortion by the time they're 45 years old. Almost half of the women in America today that are 45 and older that you know have had an abortion. Many, many of them consider themselves highly religious. Forty-seven percent of that number of women that have an abortion will come back for a second abortion. So half of the women in America, almost, that are 45 and older have had an abortion, and half of them will go back for a second. Now we see that this horrible tragedy of immorality has become a type of birth control. Let's see what the Scriptures say. The Scriptures tell us this as we debate, if you will, so oftentimes this question. Is that fetus a human child? You see, if it is, it's murder. And so those that are pro-abortion declare that that fetus is not a human child in its early stages. It is only tissue. Let's see what the Scriptures say, and let's see where God stands on identifying this that is in the womb. Where does life begin? And if that life begins at a certain point, what is it at that beginning? Genesis, the fifth chapter, early in the Scriptures, we read a long chapter of lineages from Adam. And we see in verse 3, Adam lived 130 years and begot, notice that word begot, a son in his likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. This comes from the Hebrew word of Yalad. Now what's interesting about this is if you use this word of a woman, it could be any time from the time of conception to the time of actually carrying the child in the womb to the time of delivery. And so you could say she begot that child, and you might be talking about the very moment she delivered that child. But now if a man begots a child, does the man, oh, you women are going to like this, do they have to carry that child around? How many of you reminded your husbands you didn't give birth to that child when your husband says, oh, that's the worst pain that you can imagine? How many times have women said, I can imagine pain. I've borne three children. The only time physically the man's involved in that is conception. And so when God says, Adam begot that child, he's saying that he was a part of conception that brought that child into the earth. 
So God referred to Seth as a child at the very point of conception. Let's ask that question again, though, as we look at Ecclesiastes, the 11th chapter and verse 5. Is it a fetus or a child? And we see not only is the child there, but we see that the child is growing. Notice this. As you do not know what is the way of the wind and how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. And this is interesting. Number one, we learn that it is a being, but it's a being God made. And not only is it a being that God made, but it's a being that is alive because it is a being that's growing. And then he identified, God identified that being as a child. So it is a living, growing human being that God has placed in the womb. Let's look at Psalms 139. And by the way, if you're taking notes, you'll want to read several verses in here, much more than this. This is one of the most beautiful passages that deals with our creation as human beings and God placing us in the womb. But here's what verse 13 and 14 says. For you were formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. It's interesting here that when the psalmist thinks about his creation, and he says, God, I want to praise you for the way in which you have created me. Speaking of the human race here, he says, you formed me in the womb. Now, before we get to that in the womb, I want you to notice that first part there that is in bold. He says, my inward parts. There's a little bit of debate of what he means by the inward parts. Not only is he praising God for the physical creation of his body outwardly, but there's something that he is thanking God for. He's praising God because of the way God created him inwardly. Is it his intellect? Is he saying, God, thank you for my mind. Thank you for the way that you've given humans the the way to have certain abilities and talents and carry those out in their life. Or is he saying, thank you for my soul. You've made me after your image, God. Thank you for my soul. But what's interesting, he's saying, God, you've made me from inside and out. Thank you for all of my creation. But then secondly, he says, or at least we're going to bring out here the point, that not only does he say, you made me from inside and out, he says, but you placed me in my mother's womb. God made us. We're God's creation. Now, we need to put an emphasis on that. We are God's creation in a womb. The mother doesn't own us. The father doesn't own us. It's God's creation that's in the womb. Now, if we had to pick out one verse that speaks the most about this subject, it would be this verse, but we have to understand the word study here to appreciate it. He says, Lord, I appreciate what you've done for me, creating me inwardly, outwardly, while I was in my mother's womb. But notice there he said... You covered me in my mother's womb. The Hebrew word there is protection. Ah, you have a nice new sports car, but there's no place in the garage. And you fret. Why? Oh, we've got to protect this car. What do you need? I need some kind of covering. I need a garage that I can place it in so it'll be kept safe. I need some kind of covering that can be placed over it so that it won't be damaged. Have you ever seen a premature baby? Do they handle a premature baby in the same way that they handle a baby that was born in a timely manner? Of course not. They're very careful. Why? Because that baby has been taken out of the covering that God designed 
that is the safest place for that child to be too early. What's the point? The point is God is saying, I place babies in the womb for protection. Where's the most dangerous place for a baby to be in America today? By far. There's no numbers that compare. Somebody says, oh, I know, in the middle of a road. No, that's not the most dangerous place for a baby in America. Where is the most dangerous place for a baby in America to be? In a womb. God says, I place them there for protection. Immoral people kill them there. Is it a child or is it a fetus? Let's quickly read two more, or one more about this. Genesis, the ninth chapter. The Lord makes a distinction in the value of a beast or an animal and the value of a child. And He says this, or value of a human. This is just after they're coming off the ark. This is as they're ready to replenish the earth. And the Lord tells Noah what he can eat, but also how he has to value life that is not animals. In other words, the life of humans. Genesis, the ninth chapter, beginning verse 3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. We have some tree huggers today that need to read these verses. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Surely for your life blood, now notice what's happening here, I will demand a reckoning from the hand of every beast, I will require it. And from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. You see what he's saying? You take the life of an individual, you need to die. Even if it's an animal. You've seen the specials or the newscasts on TV where a Rottweiler takes the life of a human? Now this is Old Testament, so I'm simply giving it to you as a principle. But under the Old Testament, God says, that animal needs to die. On the farm, there was no question. If a bull hurt someone... The bull was gone the next day. It's a biblical principle. You value the life of humans much more than you value the life of animals. And if someone in society doesn't value the life of humans, they need to be punished and punished severely. Let's read on. Verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, and by the way, the Hebrew word here for man isn't a person as in a male. It's the Hebrew word for mankind. Whoever sheds human's blood is a proper translation of this. Whoever sheds human's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Notice what it's for. In the image of God he made man. And as for you, be fruitful, multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply it. Now please note, we're not advocating that we need to go out and have violence against those that are pro-abortionists. That is ridiculous, and by no means are we advocating that. We're simply giving biblical principles here, and coming from the old law, God says, I'm going to give you guidance, and I'm going to give you law, and I'm going to give you penalties when that law is violated. He says, I want you to see the difference in the life of a human and the life of an animal. I want you to realize that the life of a person is not to be taken, and if it is, the punishment will be the life of the person that takes that life. And then we say, well, Lord, why? Why is the life of a person so much more valuable than the life of a human? 
And he says, it's for this reason. The person is made after my image, period. If that person is in the womb, what did he make? The inner parts, our soul, were made after the image of God. In the womb, we're made after the image of God. That is valuable. The older person that is lying on their deathbed in society says there's no value to society. Why don't we just kill them? Because they have value because they're made after the image of God. The retarded person that's 30 years old, society says they're not contributing anything to society. Let's take their lives. God says, humans are made after my image. Their life shall not be taken. And if so, the life of another should be required. Does the Bible speak of abortion? Yes. There's a word used at least three times in the Scriptures that it has to be translated based on the context of either miscarriage or abortion. They both mean the same. You see, abortion is an intended untimely death of a child in the womb, and a miscarriage is an untimely death that is an accident of the child in the womb. Here's one example. In Job the third chapter, verse 16, when he was regretting his life, in other words, he's saying, I wish I'd never been born, he says, or like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be as infants, notice that word, infant, referring to a baby, typically it refers to a baby that's already been born, he uses that word to say as infants that never saw light. And so not only does he say, sure, the reason I'm bringing this up is a lot of times people say, well, they didn't even have abortion back in that day. They didn't even think about the worth of a child in the womb. Absolutely they did. They considered that. And what did they look at it? They looked at it and said, this is a baby that's not yet been born. And sometime its life is taken. As a matter of fact, when we go to the next slide, look at Psalms 106 and verse 37. We read about a group of people that sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood. Now skip down and read Amos, the first chapter in verse 13. Thus says the Lord, for, by the way, this is what we studied last Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And you remember Sunday night, we looked at the fact that the neighbors had particular sins that God remembered and He was going to punish them for their sins. This is the sins of Amon. Ammon. All right. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the people of Ammon, and for four I will not turn away its punishment. Why? Because they ripped open the women with children in Gilead that they might enlarge their territory. We don't know exactly why they ripped open the children, the, the women, and took out the babies as they slew the country. But we do know this. We see it happening three times in various places in the Scriptures, and it is believed, it's known, that there was a, a god of Molech. He was worshipped by these people. And it's believed that first what they would do is set his hands on fire, and they would take a baby, and they would pass the baby through the hands of the fire, and it was their understanding that that purified the child, the, the, either the child or their children. But over time, it is understood in the Scriptures that they begin to sacrifice their children to this God. So in other words, they move, they evolve. Remember the spiral down? So they move from the point of just passing them through to purifying them to actually laying their children in burning hands of an idol and burning their children to death. And so it's believed that possibly what they were saying was whenever they went in and they slaughtered this nation of people, they actually took the women that were with children and they aborted them, taking the infant child out and offering it to their God. You think they understood what it was to have a child in the womb? Absolutely. 
You think God has an idea of what it is to have a child in the womb? He created it. He put it there. You think if God wanted to say it's not a child, it's a fetus, He would have said it? Or do you think if God said it is a child, it's just in the early stages, it's unborn, you think He would have said that? And that's what He said over and over and over. Sure, it's a fetus. Fetus means a young human, unborn. Is it a child or is it a fetus? The answer is yes. It is a child because a fetus is a child if it's a human unborn. And so we close by mentioning quickly the works of the flesh. You see them there on the screen. I want to point out to you that adultery and fornication is a big reason that this is such a huge problem today. We also see hatred. It's not love for the unborn that causes abortions to be committed. You see also outburst of wrath, but then especially selfish ambition. That is by far the leading cause of abortion today. Selfish ambition. I want it my way. I don't want the inconvenience. I don't want to have to worry with adoption. I want it my way. It's murder. Oftentimes, the conception takes place through the influence of drunkenness. But the bottom line is, without turning back to God, we cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. What's the right thing to do? Turn to God. What will God do? We see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, is that the loving thing to do for that child? Absolutely. Don't abort the child. Give birth to the child. Help the child have a Christian home. Joy, calm, delight. Absolutely. Peace. You see, what they don't tell mothers that are going in to have an abortion is that you'll remember the anniversary date as long as you live. You'll have turmoil in your life probably as long as you live. If you don't find the full forgiveness of God, you're going to deal with this for as long as you live. And since, you're never going to know peace. Also, long-suffering. Sure, it takes something for a young woman to bear a child and give that child up, but that's a part of the fruits of the Spirit. It's long-suffering. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Why would anyone do it? Because it's the right thing to do, and it's that simple. Self-control. Who would do this? Because we're Christ. Because we crucify the flesh and our passions and our desires. And bottom line, and we close with this, we all have to decide whose side are we on. One of the great passages in Scripture is where the king was being spoken to by his mother. And she was telling him things that he needed to know. And she said this to him in Proverbs 31 and 8. Open your mouth for the speechless. In the, ca- in the cause of all who are appointed to die, open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and of the needy. This morning, you won't ever in your lifetime hear a child that's about to be aborted say, please reconsider. There are a lot of things I'd like to do on earth too. I'd like to play on a playground. I'd like to go to elementary school. I'd like to live and fall in love. I'd like to grow and develop. I'd just like to have the same rights you have. The right to live. You won't ever hear a child that is about to be aborted say that. And here a king speaks and says, this is my vow, this is my declaration in life. I want to be the kind of person that stands up for the people that can't speak for themselves. For the people that are being crushed and oppressed, I want to stand for the needy. And this morning we're spineless if we won't make our case and our cause for the children that can't even speak. 
There needs to be a voice across America. There needs to be a loud and a strong voice that says, we won't ever let you forget what you're doing. Pictures need to be shown. Articles need to be written. And God's Word needs to be declared. Is it a fetus or is it a child? And God says, absolutely. Thou shalt not murder. This morning, we close with an invitation. If your life isn't right with God for any reason, we encourage you to make your life right this morning. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.